Hey Shane, how you doing? Good mate, that was a process. <laughs> a little bit of technical difficulties. Yeah. We got to figure it out. Um, yeah, not too bad. Um, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, we're very excited um, to have you on. Obviously, one of Australia's biggest basketball players ever. Um, I want to introduce you to Hesh. He's going to be co-hosting the show today. How you doing, Shane? Good, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Lockdown in Sydney, but surviving. I know the feeling, mate. I know the feeling. Yeah. Three weeks. Um, obviously, we know you watched the game today. Um, it's a big day for Australian basketball. Um, you've obviously watched the game against Argentina as well. Um, what are your initial thoughts with the Boomers team and their exhibition game so far? I thought it was impressive, really, because the team just hasn't been together too long. But you know the way Brian Gorgian sort of runs his squad. I played for him in 2000, um, 2004 and defensive orientated coach. I think he's got a really good squad for that. I think Dybul's been awesome on the defensive end and just added that athleticism. And I think the offense is going to continue to get better over time, but I like it when they go small ball and been looking good. Yeah, I saw, I saw your comment on Twitter, something about small ball, and you think we should run small ball a bit more. Um, and you said you like Cooks at the four. Well, you know, he was not my first priority, but I think um, that we just don't have much up front. Uh, you know, I don't think that it's a great matchup for us when we've got Baines and, uh, and guys like Kay when Kay's at four. I thought he played pretty well today at the five, but um, I think we're better when we've got better athletes you know, around one bigger guy in, in the centre spot. And I thought, you know, when Baines went down and we went with one bigger guy, we actually looked a little bit more mobile and, and athletic. So I think we've got the players to be able to do that. And I think we're going to be forced into probably taking somebody like Cooks rather than Asobi. Mm. Me and Hesh, me and Hesh were pretty big on Cooks in the team. We thought he definitely deserved a roster spot. But yeah, I think the team, the way they played today was really impressive. I thought so too. Yeah. Do you think we need to make any major adjustments in order to meddle from based on what you saw today? Is there anything standing out? Oh, I think all the teams need to make massive adjustments before they get to the Olympics, but that's what these games are about. Gorgian's trying to get his rotations right, work out what combinations are going to work, um, you know, who's going to play what minutes and, and, you know, whether he brings in a second unit or whether he brings in pieces of the second unit to play with starters. So, you know, these games are great. And I think they're probably, you know, playing better than what anyone would have expected at this stage of, you know, throwing the squad together. Yeah, 100%. Me and Reese always go back and forth on the podcast for the last couple of weeks since the squad got announced about our starting five. Who do you reckon should be the starting five? Do you have a five in mind if you were to, if you were to coach this team? Well, I don't, I don't mind the five that he's starting. I think if you're going to say who's the best Five. It's probably not with Dalavadova in the lineup. You probably bring Thibel in for you know his ability to play uh, at defensive end. But I don't mind the fact that we bring Thibel and and Exum off the bench. I think it gives us something really different. It gives us some some length. Guys that want to probably slash a little bit more and and get a piece of the paint um, rather than just shoot threes all the time. But you know, I don't mind starting with Dally because he's tough defensively. He's going to organise people, not going to take a lot of shots and it opens it up for some of the other guys to be a bit more aggressive. For sure. Um, I think they've got a tough game tomorrow with Nigeria. I don't know if you've been watching Nigeria's games, um, but they play tomorrow. It will be an interesting game. Nigeria also beat Argentina in the US as well as us. 
Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I read somewhere that Brian is not going to play. Uh, he's not going to show his hands. And he's going to play some of the guys on the end of the bench. So we'll see how they do. Um, obviously, that's a good. Yeah, I think could be. That's smart. I mean, both teams are probably going to be similar. Nigeria is not going to show Australia a whole lot, and you know, learn from different matchups. And I cast my mind back to two thousand. You know, we played against Lithuania down in Wollongong the week before the Olympics rolled out, and um, and we smashed them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were confident going into the Olympics, and ended up playing them for a bronze medal. And they changed around everything that they did. They kept so much up their sleeve and they pantsed us in for a bronze medal. So, you know, I think Australia has to be a bit smarter with those sort of things. Traditionally, we play everything to win, um, but it's about winning in the long run. And uh, I think it's it's a good way for good to go. Sure. That kind of uh, leads us into our next topic. We'll get into your playing career. Um, uh, you were one of Australia's best players ever. You represented Australia in 1992, 96, 2000, 2004 along with many FIBA appearances. Um, what, what was it like suiting up for Australia for the very first time? Oh, it was amazing. Um, you know, walking into the uh, opening ceremony in 1992 at Barcelona was just something that you never ever forget. And, uh, you know, for me, I was at the end of the bench. I didn't play too much. Called myself a 20-point player. I got on when we were up by 20 or down by 20. So uh, <laughs> that's when I stepped up a little bit. But um, that experience in itself of just seeing the level you need to get to, understanding international basketball, and I was just like a sponge. I roomed with Andrew Gaze there and uh, and learned so much, and you know then started for the next four Olymp- uh, next three Olympics after that. Do you remember the exact reaction you had? Do you remember getting the call? Were you surprised, or were you expecting it? Or no, I was expecting it by that stage. You know, I'd played four years in the NBL. You know, I was disappointed I didn't make the World Cup two years earlier. I felt like I should have. Um, so I was ready to be able to go. I needed to be there. And, um, you know, but it was like an apprenticeship for me just to, to learn. And, uh, and it was great. And that's what I thought that Giddy might have got the opportunity to be able to go for this one for that same reason, where you just learn so much about being in that environment and understanding the level that you need to be able to get to and the things you go away to work on. So I finished 1992. I said, well, it's great to be here, but now I want to make a difference. I'm going to go away. I want to start. I want to be in the top 10 in, in scoring and assists. And, you know, I was able to do that. For those who don't know, um, Shane obviously had two stints in the NBA, one with the Spurs and one with the Timberwolves. Um, what was the biggest learning factor you learned from playing in the NBA and being around those guys? Oh, I mean, when you go into the NBA, you got to remember back then, there just wasn't many international players playing in the NBA. You know, Luke and I were the only Australians at that time. Um, we were trying to break down barriers to sort of prove that international guys can play at that level. So the biggest thing for me was, you know, learning to be patient, but also understanding and playing against guys that are a lot longer and, and a lot more athletic. So you make adjustments with all of your passes and being able to get shots off quicker and, and those sort of things. But you adjust pretty quickly. I, I think that playing at the Olympics Games is a harder task than playing in, in the NBA. I think the pace of it and the intensity and lack of space in the Olympic Games is, is much tougher over a two-week period than the NBA in the regular season. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I have to, talking about the Olympics, one of the infamous... Still there, Shane? Yeah. yeah, sorry, mate. No, you're right. I was going to say one of the most infamous incidences. It shows up on my YouTube feed all the time. You're trash-talking 
um, debacle with, with Charles Barkley. Uh, what happened with that? I want to hear it firsthand. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's amazing that it's 25 years ago or something and, you know, somebody would bring it up every second day. And uh, <laughs> But we went over there in 1996 and we had a team that was really close-knit. I think we were probably ranked at, you know, eighth or tenth going into that tournament. And we saw a lot of the other teams sort of getting autographs and taking photos and things like that with the Dream Team. And we're like, wow, we're not doing that. Like, you know, it's going to be tough to beat them. And so we'll be one of the best Dream Teams that ever went around uh, with the depth and quality of, of players. But they didn't like it that we sort of took it to them and, and Barkley sort of had a cheap shot on me and took my legs out and I was on fire at the time and made the shot and just got up and gave him a few choice words and he didn't like it and then it carried on and the next possession it carried on and they had to stop the game and send us to the benches and, and all the rest of it. But uh, it's nice that he still remembers it now, yeah. 25 years Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I remember that he put out a tweet congratulating Shiloh on, on being drafted. And then he had a, a cheeky little comment about how you tried to fight him. And he's lucky that he that he has a daughter because if, if you want to have a fight, he wouldn't have a daughter. Do you keep in touch with him at all? Do you talk to him? Was it all? all <laughs> nah, not really. Actually, actually uh, trying to get him on my show. So on the basketball show. So hopefully we get that done at some stage. He's been great. And, and when I made it, you know, when I made it to the NBA, he was fantastic as well. And he came and the Olympics and so I should have been in the NBA and I should get the opportunities. And then when I saw him, when we played against them in the playoffs, um, Houston Rockets, and I was about to get in the lift and I heard someone yell out to me and I turned around and it was um, it was Chuck. And I was like, wow, he's yelling out to me. He called me over and then we sat down and and, uh, and had a Diet Coke or something and had a chat. He was, he was really cool. He was my favourite player. Before that game, it was nice being able to talk some shit to him and... Uh, you know, he's still one of my favorite characters now. That's, that's an awesome, awesome story. That's, that's a, an awesome that's a cool story. story. If he ever comes on your show, that's going to be a must watch. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll get my eyes on that. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Shane, I, I think I think it's pretty I, – I deal with coaching a lot of kind of younger kids and the younger generation trying to make it. And I feel like what you've achieved in your career is, is kind of underrated a little bit. Like, you're one of the pioneers to do it. It was impossible when I was coming up to try and get a college gig, let alone get yourself known enough to – to make it to the NBA and you kind of broke those barriers down. Like you said, it was just you and Luke at the time before social media, before mixtapes, before all this hype you can generate about yourself. What do you, what do you reckon now you're involved in obviously Shyla's career and her getting over there as well. What's your advice for kind of the younger generation given, given the current stance of basketball and, and how to get, how to get over to where they want to go. Well, I think the biggest thing is that, we're, we've got, um, we don't have great pathways for skill development in Australia. And I don't think that the kids are getting their techniques right. I don't think they're getting the reps in. I don't think they're doing the individual workouts that they need to do outside their team training and, uh, and their games. And for me, you know, I was in the driveway shooting, you know, thousands of shots and I'd shoot before school and after school on weekends and I'd still go play on my games and play footy and footy all the rest of it, but I just do extra work. And it gave me the confidence to be able to shoot the ball at a, at a high level and, and develop things that people weren't doing back there because people weren't pulling up on the three. You got to remember, I came in, you know, as uh, behind Phil Smith. And back then the point guards would have organized. They had to come down, dribble, organize people, dribble, dribble, pass. They weren't making plays. They weren't putting it through their legs and, and step back and hitting threes and pulling up in transition, shooting the ball from a couple of meters out. Um, now we see that all the time. We felt like 
you know, we're a little bit of ahead of our time because that's just what we did. And um, I, I feel like players have to do that a lot more. And I feel like people think they practice, but they don't practice the same as what I practice and they're not getting the same amount of reps up at game pace. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I can second that. I think it's it's pretty common in the States. Most players have a trainer, you know, off-season work or whatever it is. They'll just go and spend the whole summer with their trainer and do hours and hours in the gym. Over here, it's like most people that I've dealt with are off-season. This is my time off to kind of just relax and, and do whatever. So I think yeah, you're spot on there with the, with the culture, um, for sure. Can you? And I think uh, ahead, we, we, you know, I spend the off-season adding something else to my game. You know, it wasn't a time to rest. Like, you might take a little bit of time off. And, you know, we used to party pretty hard, you know, back in the day, but we never took a day off from it. We'd burn the candle at both ends, but then we'd be straight back up. And then, you know, I had a gym set up in my house, um, you know, when I was playing in Europe and playing in the NBA, had a house in Melbourne, put a steam room in, put a spa, put a gym, put all the rest of it in because I was on the treadmill, I was on the stepper, I was doing the things that I needed to because I felt like I needed to be fitter and stronger in the legs than what my opponents were to be able to do what I had to do to shoot it from a long way out. And I think those sort of devices were the things that and, – and an ice machine, I was having ice baths, back when people weren't having ice baths and things like that. And it really helped. Yeah. It's probably, that's probably a, a innate thing though. You, like you said, you spent hours in the driveway before you had the money to, to build a house, to put all that stuff in for you. It was just in your blood to be out there for hours and hours and hours and do whatever it took to get to the next level, I guess, which is something I think more kids need to take more seriously. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, it didn't cost anything for a skipping rope and, you know, I used to wear ankle weights um, around my ankles and practice in the driveway. And I, I talk, you know, hear people talk about loading and everything else. And you can't train because it goes over. I mean, for me, you know, I'm not a caveman. I understand that you've got to have rest and you've got to have it in proportions. But playing in Europe and playing in the NBA, you see the amount of work that people do. I feel like the culture in Australia is we do less work. We think that we go over on our loading. We're not preparing kids and players to be able to go and play with the intensity as many days as you do internationally, what we do here, and it starts at the Institute. You know, I know the girls, they just don't work hard enough. Interesting. I was going to ask, a lot of people have different opinions on the uh, the bus, the, the BA pathways and stuff like that. And you mentioned before that you don't think it's top notch or up to par. What do you, what, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I'm not sure that the individual work that's being done from our elite players is at the same level that I was doing 30 years ago. And I think, you know, if you go back, if you look at the percentages for the under 19 boys of the world cup, you know, tell me what they shot from the three point line. Um, you know, I know the first three games that it was critical that they had to be able to win. The percentages were woeful. I'm just not mm -hmm. sure we're doing the work. We'll see what happens with the girls under 19 team. Um, I just don't think that, you know, people put the same amount of time in as what we used to. And I think they need to because the other nations are doing it. If you go to Serbia or you go to Greece or you go to Spain, believe me, people are working. People are working a lot harder than what our juniors are here to be able to make it to the next level. We're getting athletes now. I'm not sure that we're getting better shooters across the board. And I think that's an area that probably needs to be adjusted. Definitely. Interesting. Interesting take. Um, we'll get into your coaching career. Obviously, you're coaching the Sydney Uni Flames this year. Um, I've seen them making a few moves. You obviously signed Shyla. Um, you signed a few um, 
U.S. girls, I think. One of them played North Carolina. Um, Watts. Uh, you got Keely Froling as well, um, which is exciting. You've got a stacked squad. Um, is there any more signings we can look out for? Uh, no, we're almost done now. Um, but, you know, when I came in, you know, I felt like I got a three-year deal and, and I wasn't about trying to buy a championship. I wanted to go young. We'll be the youngest team in the league. We'll be the short team in the league. Billy Froling is going to play in the front court. I feel like she's got, you know, so much more upside. I've got Lauren Mansfield that was there last year, so we're going to be short in the backcourt. Uh, and then I signed two imports that, you know, weren't overly expensive because they're rookies that have come to get developed. Um, exactly. And Odom that plays for um, New York in the WNBA, she'll be the best athlete in the competition, but she's going to be out of size. She's a defensive specialist. When I spoke to the general manager of New York, he said she's in the top 1% for athletes of the entire WNBA. So she'll block Damn. shots, she'll get she'll, she'll rip through against bigger opponents, but she'll be smaller for the position we have playing. Um, she went to Duke. She had a great career at Duke. Um, and then Watts, she was the 10th pick in the same draft that Shiloh was. So yeah. she got drafted. I, I, I signed her where she was in LA. Uh, she got traded to Chicago. She was there with Shiloh. She got cut at the same time. Um, she's 5'11", but she's got a 6'3 wingspan. She's another defensive specialist. She led her team at North Carolina in assists, um, steals and blocks. Uh, she can shoot the three. So we're going to be, I think probably people will predict us to be in the bottom three, but we're going to be, we're going to be long, we're going to be quick, and we'll play a real different style than what the rest of the league will. And we're going to be, um, I've got signed two kids out of the Institute of Sport that hasn't been announced yet as amateur players that, I think are going to be stars and uh, we'll give them the opportunity to be able to learn how to be a pro and, and work out whether they go to college or whether they uh, stay on with the flames as, as pros. Sure. That's, That's awesome. How did you, how did you get into coaching in the first place? Oh, it was natural for me because I took up coaching at a young age when I was still a junior, I was coaching other junior teams and, and everything else. So it was something that I enjoyed um, I did a lot of stuff with teammates on our workouts and things like that. And then um, I coached the kids' teams. I coached from under 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, all the way through for all three of my daughters. So it was just something that I did that I wanted to be able to give back and help them, support them. And, and then when I, after I came out of retirement and signed for the South Dragons, you know, I went down as a player. They got rid of Mark Price after five games, who was 0-5, and, and then I became player coach for the next two years. So it was pretty tough. I was thrown in the deep end. It wasn't ideal, but we went from zero to five and um, ended up making the playoffs and being the first first year team ever to make the playoffs. So it was um, it was it was a tough time, but it was um, it was good as well. It was a great learning experience, and uh, and then obviously then got to coach the Kings and made the playoffs with the Kings with a small budget, and um, here I am. Yeah, I remember that actually. I don't know if you recall, but I was I was playing for BK at the time. I was playing for Norths, and uh, we had a couple of a couple of crossover sessions when we were training at Norths, and you guys were working out there. And I remember you coaching at the time, and you were still you still had the strap. I remember you watching you play Cody Ellis one on one, and and Aaron Bruce, and you were, you were giving him buckets a little bit. But um, with with the coaching, what is it um what does it hold for you in the future? You have big goals with it. You want to continue working in that industry? Is that what you see for yourself in the future? Uh, not necessarily. You know, I, I feel like, 
you know, coaching women's basketball is something I'm passionate about, being able to do it in Sydney. It's not necessarily that I would have taken up a job or moved to Perth, but being in Sydney, being able to bring Shyla in, uh, they're owned by the Sydney Kings now. We've got big plans. We're going to play a lot of games before the Kings games next year. So it's going to go in a total different direction than what it has in the past. And we've got an opportunity to really promote women's basketball moving forward. So we've got an opportunity from a promotional standpoint and a development standpoint to be able to give uh, New South Wales kids a chance to become pros. So I'm passionate about that. I'll stay involved in the media. Still got the basketball show. I'll continue to do my elite programs uh, that I do in in Sydney for, for young kids. I've got kids as young as 10 years of age um, that are part of my program and I love it. And, you know, giving them the skills at a young age to be able to develop their game because all those kids have, you know, dreams of being able to go to college and become pros. So being able to start them young and give them a bit of a head start is something I'm passionate about. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking about um, about Shiloh, obviously she's had a, a hell of a year from the highs and the lows and everything that's, that's come in between as well. Um, just wanted to, to get your opinion on a, on a couple of things with, with how all that, all that went down. Feel free to, obviously, you don't have to answer anything or you feel like you, you don't want to feel free to say so. But um, how is she at the moment? How does she take the whole situation and, and how is she travelling? Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I mean, to miss out on the Opals, um, you know, it was a tough one as well because I feel like the season she had, she should have been an Opal. For felt sure. like she could um, have no get to get drafted at number eight, you know, it's a big honour at uh, somebody at 19 years of age internationally. And, you know, you look at the rest of the draft, most of the kids are 24. So, you know, obviously we're disappointed the way it panned out because the coach sold it to us that he wanted her now, even though she was going to miss camp, she was going to be behind the eight ball a little bit, but they were going to give her time and understood it was going to take a bit of time. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, they lose five games in a row. Everything changes. They've got injuries. Um, the coach is trying to look after his own ass and he makes a, you know, irrational decision in my opinion. So um, I don't think it's a reflection on, on shy. And uh, I know she's going to have great opportunities in the future to go and show what she can do on the, on the world scale, both for the Opals, but also in the WNBA. But at the same time, it's, you know, a learning experience for her and it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, she has to, you know, restart and, and do the work, which she's always been able to do and get ready for the WNBL season and show what people, what she can do. Of course. Did you, sorry, Reese, to, to cut you yeah. off, but uh, did you, did it remind you of any situations you faced in your playing career? Did you have anything to draw back on and give us some advice and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've been able to do that all the way through because from a young kid, she was told that she was going to be too small. She didn't make certain teams or didn't get, you know, court time because the coach said, no, you're too small. So she's always understood that, um, you know, she has to put the work in and she has to prove people wrong, uh, prove other people right that believe in her at the same time. And, you know, I missed out in 1990, the World Cup, I was averaging, you know, 21 points a game as a teenager and missed out. Um, you know, I, should, I felt like I should have been there. But the only way you handle that is to, you know, understand what you got to improve on and go do the work. And, and um, you know, the rest was history for me and hopefully it'll be the same for her. Sure. The, the main thing about the whole situation for me is me and Hesh discussed it in the previous episode was just the unprofessionalism. I know you sounded off on it on Twitter a few times. Um, there was a couple of different stories going around at how they handled it exactly. Something about an airport um, being dropped at the airport about the board or making it, making it apparent in front of the whole team. Um, 
yeah, just the unprofessionalism, I feel like, I don't know, in the NBA, if you draft someone eighth, even if they are, aren't what you want, obviously uh, the talent's going to be there. They've got scouts to do that for a couple of years. But I feel like they still give you a couple of years, not four games in two she didn't play in. I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like the whole unprofessionalism of it was just a bit, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think it just shows where the leagues are at, right? We're all about trying to put forward and all the rest of it. You know, if um, somebody goes number eight in the NBA, they've got a guaranteed three or four years. Exactly. Um, you don't get cut, not get paid any money for starters. Um, mm. So the way they run their league, um, you know, isn't great. I think this is more a reflection on the coach and their program that he panicked so quickly because he had three of his stars out rather than understanding that, um, you know, they were going to ride through that, which they did. And, you know, he brought somebody in that he overlooked in the draft that was five years older, that's playing less minutes than Shyla did and is performing less than Shyla did. And she's got all that upside with the experience moving forward. So I think it was a rash decision. I think it was, it was poor, it reflects on him. I think he took a hit. Um, with a lot of people and the respect uh, over there. And, um, you know, I think she gets her opportunity to be able to go back and show what she can do in the future. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, what are you working on with Shyla right now? Um, I know she mentioned pre-draft that the WNBA teams told her she has to get faster. So I think she said you guys got a sprint trainer and she started doing sprint training and said she got really fast and really quick time. Um, what are you guys looking to improve on at the moment? Yeah, I mean, that side was great. I think the biggest thing for Shy was that, you know, she hadn't played for seven months. <laughs> you know, it's a long time not to play basketball and miss out on the camp and do the quarantines and everything else. Um, so she did the work to be able to get quicker. Um, it's a bit hard with quarantine down here because we just don't have stadiums. So, you know, really just being able to build her up after a quarantine back in Australia uh, on the outdoor courts of getting her handles right and just feeling the ball come out of her hands and, you know, if the border's open, she'll probably go to Queensland and get a few games in, you know, NBL one up there, just so she's starting to play a little bit before we have our preseason uh, down here for the Flames. But they won't start until September. So we'll get as many preseason games as we possibly can. Um, so she's feeling good when the season in November for the WNBL. For sure. Tell, tell her to come play for the Gold Coast Rollers. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. But yeah, um, another question I had was, did you, did you force Shyla into basketball? I know, I feel like if any basketball fanatic had a kid, I feel like they'd force the basketball into their kid's hands. Um, um, yeah. Did you force the basketball into Shyla's hands or was it sort of her choice? Yeah, <laughs> you don't force anything on, on your kids. It, it was funny because my eldest kids, um, I actually didn't want them to play basketball. I wanted them to play netball because I didn't want them to feel like they had something to prove just based on, you know, me playing as a yeah, pro, yeah. that sort of pressure. And so they played netball for a couple of years and danced and all the rest of it. And then they influenced me to be able to start playing basketball, uh, which probably hurt them a little bit that they weren't playing at a younger age. And then they played reps all the way through and state teams and all the rest of it. And Shiloh was at the basketball stadium watching her sisters play. And, you know, she was dribbling the ball from the time she could walk. So it was just in her blood and it was something that, she was eager to do, and she had her first rep season, I think, when she was eight. And, uh, you know, she had a 50-point game in reps um, <laughs> you know, when she was only 10. <laughs> so I, I actually didn't let her play top age under 12s just because she'd had a 50-point game 
as a bottom age player and you know probably wouldn't wasn't going to push her too much mm. um right now the nba finals are on can we hear your predictions currently the suns are two wins and the bucks are on one win who did you pick before the series started and who do you have taking it out i i picked the bucks um in seven before it started interesting um I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay with the Bucks. It's probably more unlikely than likely that they'll get home from here, um, but I think they win the next game at home. I think um, if Middleton continues to, you know, put points on the board, Holiday, you know, stands up. We know the Greek Freak's going to do what he does. Um, Lopez has been good. Obviously, they're up against it, not having home court. Um, Chris Ball's been unbelievable, but he's going to have to continue to play at that level if they're a chance to win. Uh, Booker's a freak, but hasn't been shooting the ball that well. And he's going to need to shoot the ball well if in this series, I think. So a few question marks, but it's a great series. Something that we like to do every week is our 10 quick questions. Um, we ask our guests 10 random questions and you can answer these at your own pace. Um, just to finish it off. Okay, I'll look at the first one for you, Shane. Uh, did Melbourne United upgrade with Delhi from McCarran? Profile, yes. Um, probably a little bit with experience, um, but not as much as what people will probably think. I'm high on the current. I'm, I'm, I'm saying no, but yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say yes for those exact reasons, experience and just the just. I the think leadership. if you were, yeah, I think if you had to evaluate, if you were building a team, it'd be a big question mark. If you, I mean, he's rumored to be getting 750. So if you're going to spend 750 on Vladivostok for three years, or you get, um, say, Mitch McCarran at 250 to 300 thousand for three years, then I think you would be taking McCarran uh, with those numbers and the opportunity to be able to grow over the next few years and spending that money in other areas. But they will have done it for profile as well, and the amount of people who will come and watch games and and all the rest of it. So all those factors probably come in. Sure. Um, Devin Booker or Clay Thompson? Oh, geez, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to go Devin Booker just because he's playing and he's got form and everything else. But, you know, that's only because Clay Thompson hasn't played for a couple of years. But if you're asking me at their very best, each of them, I mean, Clay's already good on the board. Sure. Yeah, nice. How did you get the nickname Hammer? Um, oh, growing up, I used to do a bit of boxing and got in a few scuffles and things like that. So as a young kid, sort of just sort of happened Hammer Heel. So Hammer the Threes, it sort of just went with it and yeah, just stayed. This is this is an optional question. We might come back to it in a year. Um, do you have an early pick for next year's NBL champs? Next season's NBL champs. Yeah, it's probably a little bit early until we see what sort of imports uh, United, uh, the Kings get. Uh, but I know one thing, the standard is going to be so much higher than this year. This, this this NBL season was probably one of our poorest over the last five years for a whole lot of different reasons and not having three imports and all the rest of it. But just with the way teams are building now, it's going to a whole other level next year. And I think the, the sixth place team, is going to be so much better than the sixth place team last year. 
Yeah, nice. All right. Who's the most underrated basketball player you know currently? Could be any age across across any any kind of standard of basketball. Oh, underrated player. You can say Shyla if you want. That's a that's a viable answer as well. Um, I think she's sort of been rated pretty fairly overall. Um, I'd say if I have to say it's on my team, um, a bit closer to home because I've watched so much, I recruited Keely Froling because I feel like she's underrated on where she can go to. So I think what she did with the Caps over her career, I think what you're going to see with the Flames is a whole different level. So I think she's probably been underrated in the market. That's for sure. Good pick. Um, what's your least favourite state to travel to for business, broadcasting, basketball around Australia? I love to give shit about Australians. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. But like they say, they're only half an hour behind, but it's like, you know, 10 years and half an hour. But, um, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are South Australian and I love to give them shit about their state. But, um, yeah, it's all good fun. I think, I don't know whether you've seen the vision, you might be able to find it, but in a final there, because they booed me every time I touched it and got a steal and scored the end of the game and get the third, um, the double all the way down. I got a nice fine for it. And it was a back page of the paper, me giving both sides of the uh, the stadium the bird. Bit of fun. Good memory. Um, fast food, favourite fast food restaurant. Do you eat fast food? Uh, yeah, fast food. Does fish and chips count? Yeah, we go fish and chips. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't really have too much fish and chips when I played. I was so worried about my diet and, you know, wanted to have a real low skin fold. And now I drink a lot of beers and, you know, fish and chips on a Friday night, a few dim sims, you know, a lot of chips. Nice. Go that way. Um, who's winning the WNBL next season? Well, I've got to say Sydney. Um, no one else will think that they will be coming from a long way behind. But um, I know one thing, whatever we do next year, We'll be better the second year, and then we'll be better again the third year. So, um, uh, but this—it's actually going to be pretty even next year. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to have one dominant team like we did with Liz playing last year. Um, so, I think Southside come back to the pack, and I think there's probably four or five teams in front of us that are going to be pretty even actually, and, and tough to beat. Nice. All right, as concisely as possible, uh, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and why? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt, Jordan. Um, you know, I like LeBron. Um, I think what he's done has been incredible. I mean, physically, he's just a specimen. So he's able to dominate games and, um, you know, but he, he's built some super teams as well and he wants to, you know, bring in the right people around him. You know, MJ just did what he did. I think he was ruthless both ends of the floor. I think if MJ played in this day and age, the amount of free throws he would shoot and the amount of, easier baskets and I, I mean even you know with my time there the physicality of what you were allowed to do with hand checking until the late 90s um you know it's very difficult to be able to score and he was able to do it just year in year out if he played like the way they do now and they're taking away landing spaces and hitting elbows and hand checking uh he would have shot so many free throws don't worry about his three-point shot because he would have just lived about being able to dunk on people and getting free throws. Um, who's the best player to ever suit up for Australia? 
I, I, I still say Andrew Gaze. Um, okay. You know, I think Bogut, you know, I was lucky enough to play with Bogut when he was a rookie. And, um, you know, he's had an incredible career for what he's gone and done, you know, in the NBA. And I love his passion playing for Australia as well. But I think with what Gaze did over five Olympics and, um, you know, the, the scoring titles that he's got, the points on the board, um, he was incredible at what he did. There's no doubt about that. And uh, very difficult for anybody to be able to overshadow that, I think. For sure. All right. We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, good luck with the Sydney Uni Flames next year. Hopefully we see Shiloh in the NBL One North. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, Shane. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Good on you.